Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, tolter.net, for more information. Twitter, Tolter, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Tolter, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, and also on Periscope at Total Tutor. And I have an amazing celebrity guest. I'm so excited to welcome the program. I'm a huge fan of The Hangover, but also Dr. Ken. So I'm excited to welcome actor Ken John. Ken, thanks for calling, man. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Neil. Oh, I talk about your journey, uh, Dr. Ken, and I have to bring up the whole Dr. Ken thing because a lot of people don't understand that background of doing this television show that you're really a doctor. Kind of explain that story really quick. Yeah, the show is loosely based on my life. I worked at an HMO as a doctor, as a general practitioner for seven years, and uh, yeah, married father of two. And uh, it, it, everything is loosely based on on my life. In terms of the setup, that 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 is definitely similar. But in terms of like my character and everything else, that's more based on you know my comic persona than, <laughs> yeah, yes. than my real life. Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a blend of both. So how can a doctor become this comedian? Tell that story really quickly, because I, I, I know our audience is really interested. Because, again, you, we see a different side of Ken Jeong in, on the show. And, I, and my wife and I watch it on Friday nights all the time. Uh, and uh, we, we see a different side of you in, in specific ways. So how did it come out that, as a doctor, you decide, okay, I'm going to be a comedian? I, even before I was a doctor, I, I dreamed of uh, doing comedy and acting. I, I and when I was in college, I, I took like an acting class, and and so I, I definitely had that pipe dream. Didn't know if that could, I, I didn't know if it, if it could work. But um, I started when I was in med school. I just felt the need to perform, and I did stand up comedy on the side, basically as a hobby. I didn't have I didn't have any other hobbies. Didn't play golf. Didn't have anything else to keep me occupied outside of work. So I just basically just kept doing stand-up and and that's what that's how it evolved so for me i just kind of kept it up as a hobby and by the time i started practicing in la um i auditioned for knocked up which was looking for an actor with medical experience and uh, lo and behold i you know got really lucky and got that part and uh where i played a doctor and that led to um that led to the hangover and and ultimately my own show now, Dr. Ken, I mean, the whole thing about your character in The Hangover compared to Dr. Ken, two different animals. You do show some of your uh, uh, t- funny tendencies at, at times, especially as a comedian on Dr. Ken. But tell me, was that a hard part to play uh, in The Hangover? Did it, was that difficult to kind of, kind of put yourself in that character? W- were you doing that type of comedy on uh, on stage all the time at d- different things, or was this really kind of getting out of your comfort zone? Um, that's a great question, man. I I think that in many ways it was easier because I think when you play a character so big like that, you can you can really you can kind of hide behind it because you don't really you're not really showing not really showing true aspects of your personality, but just heightened aspects of your personality. So really, probably the only thing hard was the nudity. After a while, <laughs> so I mean, I, I think I think really, uh, but but playing a character like Mr. Chow or Senior Chang in Community, for that matter, yeah. it's very freeing because 
because you know, and everybody around me knows that I'm not that character, so it's just fun to play, you know? So it's kind of like cowboys and Indians, you know, like just playing that as a kid. Uh, just and it, 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 You just embrace the fun of it. So in many ways, that's easy. Um, but but by the same by the same token, Doctor Ken is 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 relatable and easier to play because yeah. you know my character's so grounded. I have a job, I have a family, yeah. you know, I have responsibilities, and it's nice to play a character where you're just not so psychotic, you know. <laughs> so it's, so it, 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 you know it's just it, it's nice to play. So I think the timing of the show came out just at the right time in my career. Especially so you don't get typecasts, for sure. And now with this show and, and being able to show your well-roundedness and that, that you can do comedy but also be very intelligent, it's a perfect type of show. And I love the fact that, you know, bringing healthcare to the field and certain topics and issues and even teaching a lesson, Dr. Ken, that's what the show's about in certain ways. There are definite moral lessons. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a show every Friday night um, at 8.30, you know, Eastern time on ABC. And so, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the of, of the sitcom genre. So to me, it, it was a, you know, it, it, it's a completely different tone than than the hard R movies, you know, that I'm known for. So, and, and that was by design, you know, because this is something where my family can watch and, and my wife and kids, they come to set all the time. So it's it's really nice to share this particular project with my own family and, and you're right, in terms of medicine, it's it's great. I mean, this uh this week's episode is Doctor Oz. He like Doctor Ken meets Doctor Oz. Oh and wow. They, at, at an airport just irritates the hell out of them and Doctor Oz uh now uh, hates Doctor Ken and they get in a big fight. So it it and it was really it was really cool, um, playing with him. So it's hey, great sport and he was really funny. When you were working on the set with him, real quick, when you were working on the set with him, did he know your whole background right into the bat that you were you're a doctor as well at first when they he was asked yeah. to do it? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yes, I've been on his, I've been on his show before, so he knew, he knew about me, and um, and yeah, and uh, so and it was because I've been on on his show, and we got along so well. I asked him to be on my show, so it was it was really nice of him. One in thirty seconds. Can you do me an impersonation of Mr. Chow PG, a PG Mr. Chow impersonation? Oh, okay. Um, hey Neil, you want to see a, a Pixar movie? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was know. great. That was great, Doctor Ken. Thanks again. Best place to find information on you. Yeah. We can go to. Uh, you, where can we follow you and stuff, Doctor Ken? And then again, eight thirty tonight, ABC. Uh, Doctor Ken, but best place we can find info on you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, at uh, Ken Jung, J-E-O-N-G, and Instagram and, and Facebook, my name. You're awesome, man. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, so take care. Neil, thanks for the Dr. Ken one. Really, really appreciate it, man. Have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Take care. All right, all right. that was Dr. Ken. Take care, guys. We'll be live again soon, very soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chamba life is for everybody. So go to ChambaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChambaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Tracy Poisner from Undeletable Dad. Tracy, thanks for stopping by. But we're going to go into more of the news with Tracy Poisner in the way that you are a mindset coach. But in the green room, we're talking something that really shocked me. The like People really don't know the difference between mindset and the law of attraction. Okay. And everyone goes to the secret as our as that's the real law of attraction. And trust me, ladies and gentlemen, if you just follow the secret, you're going to miss out. There's so much material when it comes to the law of attraction. But then I go to mindset, Tony Robbins and some of these other gurus. It's all mindset. Then you get people who intertwine them together. I wanted to get your take. Yeah. So um, I'm not I'm not a total expert on law of attraction. I'll say that I followed Abraham Hicks for a long time. Um, but the the difference, mindset is a word that we've come to use that encompasses, you know, how you see the world, how you feel about yourself, right? How you approach, how you approach life, how you approach difficulties. And that is different than the law of attraction has more um it has more of the energetics of the universe in it it to say that when you when you uh, believe something and you align yourself to a, a certain um desire that you have that by aligning yourself you are going to bring that thing closer to you so you know the obvious thing that everyone can understand is that if you show up to the office one day in a really great mood and you buy somebody flowers and you're making coffee for everyone and you just feel like you're on top of the world like good stuff generally happens and when you arrive at the office in a crappy mood and you know something bad happened to you and you can't stop thinking about it and you're feeling like crap like that's the day when the photocopier breaks and everything goes wrong right like yes energetically we um we're kind of magnetic to whatever we're vibrating inside of us that's a real thing but there is much much more to energetics than what the law of attraction even uh, provides because that's really a model as i understand it it's a model of um focusing your conscious attention on how you want to be and uh, on what you want to bring towards you Right? right. And just like vision board kind of style of approach. Correct. And I would say that it's much more about the beacon kind of energy. As we, as I said to you in the green room, it's kind of like the bat signal that you are turning on. Right. And that's where the world aligns itself to you instead of you trying to align yourself to what you think will bring you what you want working with yourself energetically which goes way beyond mindset about how you see the world and how you see yourself but it's kind of a first step and it's what people can understand maybe more easily but um 
creating, designing the energy of yourself and broadcasting that out like your bat signal is what causes the world to magnetize towards you. So it, it's like, it's not you changing yourself to get what you want. It's you being the biggest, most incredible version of yourself more and more and more all the time and seeing how everything just falls into place just naturally. Naturally, the things that you really want that aren't based in what I would call shadow desires of needing to compare favorably to other people or needing people not to be mad at you, needing people to like you, wanting to have, um, you know, need for belonging or whatever, needing to, you know, uh, I need a big house because then I'll get the right girlfriend or I need this fancy car because then people will know that I make a lot of money. Like when the, when your desires are based in something that is rooted in your actual bad feeling about yourself, um, that is very hard to overcome. So working energetically is more about brushing the cobwebs away and seeing the truth of who you are and really achieving the potential of who you are and being so secure in that, that naturally everything does draw towards you the way they tell you in the law of attraction that it will happen because that is a law of the universe. But in my understanding, the way to get there, the law of attraction method is limited in what you will ever achieve no, through it, it, where working energetically is unlimited. And then that's the interesting thing. The law of attraction does go into mindset in so many ways. So magnet magnification and uh was a really really interesting book back in the time period and, the, and there's specific other ones involving how to get rich before even napoleon hill this is way earlier right. than napoleon hill but it all has to do with a mindset certain thing to, as well as the other and so for example you cannot go out there and say i'm going to get this if your mind doesn't believe you're going to receive it so it it really throws the law of attraction off the, the window. And a lot of people think, as long as I manifest things, it will come true. And that is absolutely untrue. But let's just right. say that there was no law of attraction. If you follow mindset completely and allow your brain to believe that you can create anything you want when you want, you're set. There's no, you don't, they're, they're really, you don't even have to go back to the law of attraction. I wanted your answer on that one. If you're, yeah, well, the question energy, is, how do you, how do you get there? How do you get right. to actually believe that it's true? Because that's where the break is. Be like there's wanting to believe it. And then there's actually believing it. And how do you jump over that fence? Right. So that's where you need a you need a technique, a strategy, a mentor, a guide, someone who can help you get from here to there, because the actually believing it is outside of your box. Like it's outside of your comfort zone. If it was in your comfort zone, you would believe it and you would have it, right? So there needs to be some mechanism, some portal from, from here to there, from like, I really, really want to believe that I can achieve this. But if I'm honest with myself, some part of me doesn't. And so that, that little part of you that doesn't believe it is the one that is getting the results. That's the that little part of you that doesn't believe it is still in charge of the result that you are attracting towards you. So 
you can call it mindset work because that kind of sounds familiar, but um, I would say that there's a, a more um, a more energetic approach to like really being aligned in your body. Like literally your electrons are lined up so that you are a physical magnet for what you want. And that it goes even beyond believing it. If I could say it like that. No, no, absolutely. It, it goes beyond that. And I'm totally getting uh, what you're saying. And it's so it's so much more. And what you do as a mindset coach is really take you deeper into that. Isn't that correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a deep dive. And I work now with a proprietary system that I've developed called Bach Flower Alchemy, which takes the 100 year old system of Bach flowers and combines it with the um, the archetypes of consciousness with psychological archetypes of consciousness so that there are actual, you know, physical drops that a person can take of energy medicine that's, you know, really, really readily available in every pretty much every health food store on the planet. But these, these things have now been, you know, coded and combined with a, a sense of the psychological archetypes, which is the mindset part, right? To combine this energy work with mindset and get um, much faster results than you get by reading books and journaling and and you know doing your um, doing your law of attraction work to bring what you want towards you. All right, is there the best place to find information on you, Tracy's undeletabledad.com, But there's other places as well, right? The, the yeah, I, ha I do have a Facebook group called Bach Flower Alchemy, B-A-C-H, Bach Flower Alchemy um, is a Facebook group where I discuss this kind of mindset work and the, this process that I've developed for getting there quicker. So everybody's welcome. All right. Thank you again, Tracy. You're welcome. Nice All to be here. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Climate Change, the real story with our host, Dr. Robert Marks. How are you, Dr. Marks? You know, the podcast, we've talked about lots of different topics, but the one of your book, that's what gets people thinking. But you have lots of different topics for us always and interesting stories. Oh, in, in, indeed. And, and a lot of it follows down to climate change. Look at what it's done to our economy. Look what's going on in the Middle East and how much that has to do with oil and this scam about CO2. Uh, so if um, we can begin, I have a, a, a podcast I want to talk to uh, your uh, listeners about sea level rise. So if I can, uh, if uh, your listeners have been uh, tuning in to my other podcast, I think you know the position uh, that I have tried to get over to everyone, uh, and that is the climate is changing. It's changing much slower than our CO2 zombies would have you believe, uh, it is also not due to CO2. And we talk about climate change is the globe is gradually warming uh, and the seas are rising very slowly. But let's delve into that with a little bit uh, more detail. The uh, sea level rise uh, has been noted to be um, less than two inches per decade. Now, that's a pretty slow sea level rise. Uh, it's been documented. And what I'd like to bring forward to everyone is that uh, 
there's been a global climate intelligence group developed by non-governmental paid-for scientists, and they put out the World Climate Declaration. Now, these are people not to be ignored. Uh, these are Nobel Prize laureates. These are independent researchers in the climatology, and these are ex-government employees who are somewhat like blowing the whistle about all of the scam that's going on with so-called climate change. Now, I'll try to relate this to the um, issues with um, sea level rise. Uh, what I want to get over to everyone is that the sea level rise is going on, and it, again, is about two to three inches per decade. So how do we know that? Well, in the recent newspapers, I think you might find it interesting, the um, archaeologists have found a whole mammoth skeleton in 120 feet of water in the North Sea. Interesting enough. Also in um, the English Channel, they are finding routinely bones of prehistoric mammoths, uh, saber-toothed tigers, woolly rhinoceros. These were animals that lived during the Pleistocene era. And most of these are around 20,000 to 15,000 years ago. So the English Channel was dry land at that time, is what it's telling you. The North Sea, here a mile out, was dry land. So the question comes up, what did CO2 have to do with that? The sea levels have been rising between 25,000 years ago and 13,000 years ago. In fact, in my home state of Florida, uh, one of my fishing colleagues pulls up a big bone. It turned out to be um, a mammoth hip bone from the Gulf of Mexico. He was in 35 feet of water fishing. Uh, and then we've had a recent discovery in the so-called St. John's River, which was also in 30 feet of water of a prehistoric um, uh, mammoth once again. So my point is, the last ice age peaked out 25,000 years ago. It ended completely to about what we have now 12,000 years ago. So here is this massive ice melt that has gone on totally unrelated to CO2 due to natural phenomena. And I'll be able to tell you what actually caused that. We know now. So anyway, uh, let me break with a little bit of an anecdote. Uh, in my other life, I am a bone scientist, bone researcher, and head and neck cancer surgeon. Um, during the COVID uh, era, I got together and developed amongst all my colleagues a, um, a bone symposium. Uh, we had everything organized. Uh, now, a bone symposium is a bunch of bone geeks like myself uh, at orthopedic surgeons and Orland maxillofacial surgeons, which is what I am. Uh, we get together and we have lectures by some of the more eminent people in the field, and it's a great educational experience. Uh, back in the middle 2000s, I did a, a bone symposium and invited the dinosaur hunter, Jack Horner. Now, Jack Horner is an expert on the T-Rex, and he just enthralled everybody with what he knew about the Tyrannosaurus Rex. He knew about the bone, how old they were, what kind of life they lived. He can tell a male from a female by the bones and, and that they shed their teeth once a year. We were all in awe, thinking we were scientists. And here this fellow who has no other training other than field training impressed the heck out of it, all of us. 
Well, getting back to uh, this Bone Symposium, I did the same thing. Our, our social event on a Saturday night, I invited uh, Dr. John Hawks. Uh, I would invite you to look him up, some of his YouTube. He is an expert on the Neanderthals. And I wanted him to give us a, a lecture um, about the bones of Neanderthals. So he took my call. We arranged everything you know, for him to give that lecture. And in chatting with him, uh, I think some interesting things came to light. Well, the first thing that came to light uh, is he said, well, the Neanderthals are not the brutish, uh, dumb things we thought that they were. They actually were fairly intelligent. They were fairly uh, creative, uh, but they led a very difficult life. And I said, well, what do you base that on? Well, he said, well, there was a lot of uh, bone fractures that had healed. Uh, they had a lot of hip dysplasias from being thrown by animals and fighting amongst themselves. Uh, and their average lifespan was 26 years. And right now, human lifespan is 86 years. Uh, and that the oldest uh, one that they could ever determine was a 52-year-old male uh, and had plenty of old scars and bone scars and the like. And so I thought, well, that was that's very interesting. But I, being a bone person, I knew they could figure that out from fossilized skeleton. Well, then he goes on to say, well, you know, we know uh, also what they ate. And my reaction to the, you know what they ate? They're all a bunch of bones and teeth. How did you know what they ate? And so he shocks me by saying, well, this is right up your alley being a former dentist. Says we take their fossilized skeleton and their jaws and their teeth and we scrape the tartar off their teeth. We grind it up, emulsify it, and do DNA analysis. So I'm sitting there totally shocked that they're that good. And so, okay, I'll bite. What did they eat? And he said, well, interesting enough, they eat a lot of plants. Um, and I said, well, they, they, we kind of fashioned that they're kind of meat eaters. And he says, yes, um, they ate a lot of antelope. They ate a lot of small game. Uh, they ate some bigger antelope, but they never ate fish or seafood. And they lived very close to the sea. Uh, he didn't know why, but they never were able to find DNA from fish, mollusks, or clams, or anything else. And he said, the other thing they didn't eat, they didn't eat the Yurok. Now, the Yurok is the genetic forerunner of today's cattle, beef. When he said that, that inspired me for my previous book called Replay. Replay, uh, I'll put a plug in right now. I suggest that you might look that up. It's an interesting novel. Climate change is not a novel. It's real. And I'm trying to educate people on what is really causing climate change. But Replay will educate you a great deal about vaccines, why they work, why they don't work, why um, uh, the drug companies are so corrupt and how they are corrupt. So it's it's an interesting novel. I think you would find uh, a, a good pastime as a quick read of about three, four hours if you read it settled. But anyway, the last comment that he made was a lament. Uh, he says, you know, it's really difficult compared to my colleagues who look at modern man, homo sapiens. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because uh, they didn't live too close to the shores. And most of the good sites to air are in 200 feet of water. The Neanderthals lived during the Ice Age. When the Ice Age melted, most of their caves, which for some reason they tended to be along the shoreline, they are now flooded. And to do an excavation with nitrous oxide or, or nitrous 
tanks is, is very difficult to do in 200 foot of water. Uh, and so a, a lot of the good uh, sites are um, compromised. So anyway, uh, I will leave that little anecdote. I thought maybe your, your listeners would be interested. So, okay. Well, if CO2 has nothing to do with the rise of the oceans, what does? Well, fundamentally, uh, one of my earlier podcasts with you identified that most of it's coming as a rebound of the last ice age. We tend not to really um, study the last ice age that much, but a third of the world was covered in an ice sheet measuring a mile and a half thick. When that melted, it brought the seas up from what I was telling you, the English Channel was dry. Uh, many uh, of the uh, areas uh, are now underwater that were dry land at that time. It brought it up to about present day uh, levels, but it didn't stop there. The land was so compressed that it's been rebounding. And in my book, Climate Change, The Real Story, I show dramatic pictures of the levels after the last ice age compared to the levels now in the Great Lakes, in Canada, and in Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's where the ice age was. You can see it for yourself. You don't have to uh, even believe me on that. So all of that water is draining into the oceans and has been. And it exceeds that step being refilled by rain and snow. So uh, the oceans are rising because of a drainage phenomenon. The other reason is encroachment into the oceans. I think if we really look at it, uh, every city on the coast has built out into the ocean. It's a displacement phenomenon. Um, the Chinese built a whole island out there in the South China Sea for their military purposes. Well, every every bit of cement, every bit of uh, dirt and gravel they use to build that is displaced water. Same thing uh, I've noted in one of my previous podcasts to remind you is that where the World Trade Center is was, excuse me, um, that was actually in New York Harbor in 1754, because once the, the excavation occurred, they found a anchored British torture ship from 1754. So there was water there. And the entire uh, San Francisco financial district used to be part of uh, San Francisco Bay. But that's just the, the icing on the cake. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Every city has moved out into the ocean to somewhat, and that causes the, the levels to rise. And then recently, in, two, in January of 2022, uh, a well-known volcano, the volcano, the Hunga Tonga uh, volcano, was an underwater volcano that um, erupted. Uh, it spewed out water at the temperature of 570 degrees, so that warms the ocean a little bit. And it created a big landmass. It also reminds us that the Hawaii is a landmass created by underwater volcanoes. And these are still going. So the the climate is changing. The waters are rising. But it has nothing to do with CO2. If the, the people who believe that it is CO2 would look at all the data, they would be very surprised to see that the CO2 contribution is almost non-existent. So we do know a whole lot more. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say is that the jet stream that is off of Florida and, and brings warm water up to the Greenland Iceland area uh, is a relatively new phenomenon. That jet stream didn't exist 60,000 years ago. 
once the Isthmus of Panama finally formed and shut off communication between the Atlantic and the Pacific, it directed warm Caribbean water, equator-type water, up north. And that's why when you look at the hurricanes, and maybe you're not as interested in hurricanes as we are here in Florida, what do they eventually do? They all either hit or just miss us, and they start heading north. The reason they do is that the jet stream forces them to go north, as well as some other weather patterns. But that's nature's way of balancing heat distribution throughout the globe. And so the next podcast, I'm going to talk about Al Gore, the major mistake he's made, and another guy named James Hansen. Those are the two responsible for starting the misinformation, and I hope to point out all the flaws that they did to create this scam, that now we have too many people that have been, I hate to use the word brainwashed, but basically been overly influenced and who do not uh, look for other reasons and just accept the dogma of CO2. So with that, hopefully that's some new information for everybody and an inspiration to some. Thanks. All right, that was Climate Change, the Real Story Podcast with Dabba Robert Marks. You can check it out on Spotify. Soon it'll be up available on Apple Podcasts, even though you can listen to Climate Change, the Real Story on the Neil Haley Show and also listen to it on his podcast as well and his nationally syndicated radio show. Appreciate it, Dr. Marks. We will talk very soon. All right, that was Climate Change, the Real Story with Dr. Robert Marks. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest today is Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and CEO of many, many companies. Paul, how are you? All right, this is it. Because you've gotten such great, great Halloween feedback for the costume contest, so many people are, are, are responding. You have a special offer coming on October 31st. Tell us about it. Yeah, for um, for one week, we're gonna we're gonna offer you the whole set of of uh, either. Um, Either ebooks or, or the or the or the copies, um, <clears throat> the ebooks, uh, the whole set you get for five dollars um, on on Amazon and on uh, uh, and the th- the three books we're going to set up so you can get them all three for twenty five dollars, right? So good a good deal there just to get you, and this is to get you set for the book that's coming out uh, in first part of next year. So then you'll be all set and you'll be up to up to uh, uh, up to current and and. Uh, and ready to go for the book four. All right, fantastic. So that's uh, the situation, ready for book four, and book four is coming out in 2024. Correct, yeah, probably in the uh, end of first quarter. So the thing about Halloween, give us some memories of you being a terrorist, chasing terrorists on Halloween. Do you have any stories of a Halloween in Europe those years that you were chasing terrorists? Uh, actually, I don't because they don't celebrate Halloween the same as we do here. It's not a it's not a costume kind of thing, and and um, uh, and, and going door to door for candy. It, it, for example, in England, it used to be when I was there, uh, they used to call it Guy Fawkes Day, which was uh, November first, and and the kids would push around dummies in in baby carriages, and and they would ask you for a penny for Guy. Right, which is Guy Fox, and he's the guy who who uh, bl- tried to blow up Parliament in in the 1600s, somewhere way back then. And so, what these kids do with these um, these dummies at the end of the night, they they throw them on a huge big bonfire, and there's a big party sort of thing. But there's but there's very little sweets uh, uh, in in Europe that that the kids are like they, they, these. Like here, we 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 give we give 
kids candy for for just opening their mouth and and over there it's it's a it's very much a, a different kind of a world with with sweets and candy and kind of things it's a it's a real uh a privilege and a and a luxury to to get a, a piece of chocolate for example for kids all right so no memories on halloween what other holidays have you had chasing terrorists holidays in europe oh all of them uh there's probably 10 uh um 10 all saints days kind of thing around around that which they which they all get bank holidays off and everything of that sort um and 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 the usual ones of of christmas uh they christmas actually in europe expands expands to january 6th for the the three kings days and and that sort of thing and um but um uh and you know they don't have a memorial day but they don't have a fourth of july but they do have other holidays bastille day and in france is uh J july 14 and all this stuff though the the holidays themselves didn't actually work into any anything that i was doing at the time so no no specific memories of, of a particular holiday all right so let's okay this is getting kind of intriguing bro all right so give me a day in the life of paul hollis chasing terrorists Oh gosh. Um, well, uh, it, it could start off in, in a number of ways, either talking to an informant uh, and getting more information from, from an informant who actually is uh, close to uh, 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 maybe a terrorist or a group of, of terrorists. And that it could start off with, um, with uh, being uh, uh, in a, sitting in a, in a, in a uh, uh, library for, for four hours uh, doing microfiche, just, going through and, and understanding uh what what's happening in the newspapers from the day before or or um uh magazine articles etc anything that would would be in the media so start off with that it could also start off in, in a disguise that i'm walking down the street and with a with a pebble in my shoe with a limp or a or a, <laughs> a long i have had long dreadlocks uh, as well and in the in the hippie days that kind of thing like that so just anything anything of that sort but that that really be it and uh um and probably um there's a lot of instances where i was was followed by people and um, they, they taught me how to surveil but not to how how to avoid surveillance so i always brought uh um people with me wherever i where i went and and uh, zita would would ask me every time i saw her she'd say how many people did you bring with you this time right so because they were all following me kind of thing so it always it always kind of a, a humorous kind of thing like that but but we managed it but uh, that's that's kind of the typical day is just just uh walking walking around uh talking to informants uh, following people doing doing microfiche uh, uh research in libraries and things like that okay researching in libraries but everyone was watching you do you are you like really paranoid still from the days of being of tracking terrorists that someone's watching yeah. you uh actually no i <laughs> i i Thank you.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the World Doc Allen Podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the World Doc Allen Lindemann. Doc, what's going on, man? How are you? We're doing really well here, Neil. And you? Fantastic. Today's topic, second pregnancy symptoms. Is the second pregnancy easier or harder? Well, from the point of view of obstetrics, we'd say that it's probably the best pregnancy. Uh, but you're going to feel more contractions. You're going to, you know, your abdominal wall will be uh, usually a little... Um, lax and so you're going the uterus is going to flop around a little more and you're going to have a little bit more pain from uh, round ligament stretching do you gain more weight with the second pregnancy well not necessarily gain more weight but what happens usually is that the weight after the second pregnancy doesn't come off as well so you may wind up five or ten pounds heavier and have a very difficult time getting that weight off do second pregnancies feel different? Yes, I think so. I think that there's more room there. You know, like I said, above the the uh, abdominal wall is lax, and so the uterus can flop around more and cause more um, pain that way. All right, the best place to go is worlddocallen.com and safepregnancy.com. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Neil. All right, listen, that, that was the World Doc Allen Podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Royal Doc Allen Podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the program Royal Doc Allen Lindemann. Doc, what's going on, man? How are you? We're doing really well here, Neil, and you? Fantastic. Today's topic, uterine tightening during pregnancy. Can baby moving cause your uterus to tighten? Well, the short answer, Neil, is yes. Uh, what happens, though, in the last six weeks of pregnancy is that the baby gets bigger relatively to the amount of amniotic fluid. So baby's movement is more palpable Moms can feel it much better. And actually, that movement does promote contractions. And we call these practice pains, or um, as the audience will probably understand better, practice contractions. Are tightening pains a contraction? They certainly are. And they're really just the beginning of contractions, the beginning of a uterus that is more uh, responsive to um, tightening. Does a tight belly mean labor is near? Well, yes and no. Certainly, uh, tightening gets to be more common as pregnancy progresses. Uh, and of course, what you're looking for really is labor. And uh, labor is not really a off or on thing. It's a matter of degree. So it's really a matter of uh, how many contractions you're having, how strong they are, and how long they last. How long do tightenings last before labor? Well, I'd say tightenings can last for a month or so before real labor starts. But when real labor starts, you've got contractions about 30, I'm sorry, 60 seconds every 30, every three minutes and uh, lasting. Do contractions feel like cramps or tightening? In the beginning, that's exactly how contractions feel is tightening. But eventually you'll get to the point where the contraction will be so strong that you can't even dent it with your finger or your thumb. All right. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Doc. That's labor. Thanks, Neil. All right. All right. Your best place to go is worlddocallen.com, safepregnancy.com, and pick up Pregnancy Your Way today. Available now on Amazon. Appreciate it, Doc. Thanks, Neil. All right, that was the Royal Doc Allen Podcast, guys. Take care.
and, and you can get through. Now, the, the funny thing about, and I want to say funny, not in a, in a humorous way, but in an odd way, right? Is everybody's like, oh, I got a Mac. I won't get fished. I won't get hacked. Well, you know, Mac is just basically based on Linux, right? And so the iPhone uh, itself is vulnerable just because of the fact that so many people have leaked, um, you know, text uh, cell phone numbers, you know, from all these different attacks, like from Facebook and Target and on and on and on. Every Hi, everyone, and welcome to Toss C3 Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the founder of Toss C3, Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? I'm fantastic, too. And our today's topic is Apple rolls out security patches for actively exploited iOS zero-day flaw. Finally, Apple, right? We hear Android all the time, Greg, right? Yes. That's all that they do is attack Android. So finally, we have some news that Apple is finally seeing that maybe they can be exploited. You knew about this before, right? And I'm going to go into the topic again. And this comes from hackernews.com, thehackernews.com. But you knew before that um, Apple devices are still not safe, right? You have to Every, be, yeah, no. nothing is safe, <laughs> <laughs> right? We talk about that a million times. It's it's digital. If it's digital, it's computer. If it's a computer, it can be can be hacked. Uh, it just takes time and money. That's all it takes, and, and you can get through. Now, the, the funny thing about and I want to say funny, not in a in a humorous way, but in an odd way, right? Is everybody's like, oh, I got a Mac. I won't get fished. I won't get hacked. Well, you know. Mac is just basically based on Linux, right? And so the iPhone uh, itself is vulnerable just because of the fact that so many people have leaked, um, you know, text uh, cell phone numbers, you know, from all these different attacks, like from Facebook and Target and on and on and on. Every time there's a breach, your cell phone number goes out. So what does that mean? That means that the amount of of smishing, that's uh, SMS phishing attacks, text text phishing attacks, has gone dramatically through the roof. I just got one yesterday, you know, from from supposedly BMW. My car is saying that I need to, you know, get an oil change or something. I'm like, come on, who's going to click on that? But people do every day. And once it's in there, then a vulnerability like the one that was found um, at, the, at the beginning of October. Or so for issues with, you know, iOS that was before 16.6, there was a zero day on that. It, you know, basically what it's saying is that a threat actor who's locally attached, meaning they're on your phone. And believe me, people probably have threat actors on their phone right now. Don't even know it. Um, can elevate privileges. Well, what does that mean? It means they can become like the kernel administrator of the phone. And now they own your device. And they know more about it and can do more about it than you could. And there's nothing you can do except turn it off, throw it away, crush it, shred it, get another one. And, you know, 17 hours ago, I just noticed that there's a new zero day out on iOS 17. So before 16.6, they had problems. Now, you know, they came out with dot four release above that. So it said iOS 17. And now that just says that it has a zero day attack on it as well. So yeah, I think Apple's in for a world of pain right now. Uh, definitely in world of pain. And said so and Apple on Wednesday rolled out the security patches to address a zero day flaw in iOS and I iPad OS that said it has come under Active exploitation in the wild. Active exploitation in the wild? What does that mean? <laughs> All right, that's exciting. All right, so how does it go? All right, in the wild, what does that mean? That means in the wild is a zero-day environment. So it's it's out in the dark web. It's in the public domain. But um, let's say the vendor hasn't told you about it yet. 
and they might not know about it. So how do they find out? Um, they have gray hats. You know, that's right. You heard of black hats. I heard yes. of white hats. Gray hats, they kind of sit right in the middle. They're usually black hats that are, you know, now being paid by uh, one of these large vendors like Apple, Microsoft, Citrix, and so on to basically be on the dark web, you know, get into all of these different groups, uh, chat it up with people, find out what's out there, see what exploits they're talking about. And as soon as they see a, a, a vulnerability, a flaw that the vendor doesn't know about, in this case, Apple, right, about this in the wild attack, you know, elevating privileges uh, one locally uh, on the device, um, then they tell Apple. And then Apple now works with their engineering team. Um, they understand how it's going to be exploited and they can start to defend and make a patch for it. So every time you get a patch on the phone, yeah, maybe they're adding a feature or two, but nine times out of 10, they're uh, sealing up a security flaw. All right. And that's important for us to look at. And Apple's not safe. So when you go to talk to the Apple store and they say, yeah, your guys are fine. There's never going to be any attacks. You're going to be safe. Cybersecurity. We have all the measures in place. Not true as we're finding out today. So, but Greg knew this months ago, years ago, that Apple is not completely going to protect you. You have to take on your own ideas and do your own thing, right? to make sure it happens by going with professional. All right. All right. The best place to go now, right now, and schedule a call with Greg today is go to TossC3.com and schedule a call today. All right. That was the Toss C3 podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to Neil Haley's show. I'm excited to welcome to my co-host, Paul Hall, author of the Hall Man series. It's seniors, Paul and I know you're excited about our guest. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, we have Carlos Rivera today, and he is a uh, a wonderful uh, new uh, uh, horror writer, uh, a fiction writer. So he's going to tell us all about his book today, and that's going to be a, a thrill. Welcome, Thank you Carlos. so much. Thank Thanks, you so much Carlos. for having me. So tell you, so you're Uh, I'm sorry, Neil. What did you want? Oh, good. You're breaking up. Okay, go, Paul, with the question. Okay. How how did you get started in writing? Just tell, start off with that for us. So I guess I've always written, like, even since I was a kid, I grew up in this very small town in Costa Rica called Securis, and uh, being this very small town, it had, like, all of these little myths and folklore and uh, all the town gossip and all of that, and I always liked using that to create, like, little stories. Like, uh, I, I, I started particularly writing because there was this house right across from mine that used to be a, a Masonic lodge, and there were all of these stories where people didn't understand what that religion was, and they thought it was, uh, they thought there, there were witches there, that, that was the, the, the story, so uh, based on that, I kind of got, like, writing little uh, horror stories for me and my friends and things like that, and then uh, as an adult, that's, uh, I guess... I had like a bunch of little short stories I had written. And then when the pandemic hit, that's when I said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm working from home. I'm pretty much doing nothing else. Uh, and that's when I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to 
turn these little stories into a full-fledged novel and that's where white harbor uh the trilogy i'm currently publishing came out uh and uh the first uh it's called the local truth uh white harbor book one and uh i was really surprised and happy to see that it was uh a number four uh new release on amazon uh for books written by LGBTQ authors. So that was really, really uh, a proud moment for me. Fascinating, fascinating uh, experience as a, as a young person, uh, having all, all those myths around to draw from. Uh, it, it, uh, really, uh, it, and are they in your, in your novels as well now? Yes, uh, in in fact, the 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 entire concept of White Harbor is I'm taking all of those experiences from this small Costa Rican town turning them into a horror story and then I'm then I'm porting them all into a fictional town in uh in Oregon. Um why because I feel like since all of these stories might be unfamiliar to say a, a US public uh that unfamiliarity can create a sense of dread a, a sense of uh fear and for me that unfamiliarity is where horror is really born. Uh, so taking the things from here, taking them over there might be like, hey, I, I've read kind of like stories like this, but there's something about this one that's a little bit off. And that's scary. OK, well, okay. <laughs> I'm already scared. Can you tell? <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, about your book, then. Tell us about some of the, the, the myths and things that are in there and and maybe the characters and how, how they're uh, reacting to those myths. Sure. So the, the basic premise is this idea of what if all of those uh, rumors and gossip and secrets and little folk tales that come out from, uh, you know, when you're living in a small town, uh, what if those uh, are feeding something? Uh, that lives uh, beneath the town? What if they're creating their own reality, like the dark side to the town? So there's uh, White Harbor is the name of the town, and the townspeople refer to this other thing as Blight Harbor. And uh, that's that other side where all of those little secrets and things live. And there's this cult in the town that worship the entity that's creating this as if it were their god. Um, and they're trying to bring those things from over there to this side. And uh, my protagonist, uh, he uh, he's coming into town to meet with his estranged mother. Um, and his mother is the leader of this cult. What, uh, what he doesn't know is that she has been waiting for him to return to town because she needs him uh, to actually perform the ritual that would, you know, uh, bring bring all of this about so the the, the story follows a, a group of characters you, you can picture something like similar to like uh stephen stephen king's it uh silent hill uh salem's lot uh, there's a little bit of carry there since you know i have this really horrible abusive mother as the as the main villain um but um it, it's it's kind of that idea i have this group of characters that are experiencing all of these uh, events and each of them has a little part to play in either helping or preventing this ritual from happening. Wow, wow! It, it actually sounds to me like more like a true story, knowing everything I know about Oregon. So, see, <laughs> <laughs> so you're right on target there. Um, fascinating, fascinating. Um, what? So, are, are you? Um, uh, what sort of 
subgenre are you are you after are you are you portraying what is it is it like Stephen King or 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 some other you know like you mentioned him so, a lot but yeah it, it, there's a it's supernatural horror like uh psychological horror uh the idea is i want to take this concept of uh the idea of trauma and, and trauma that comes from social expectations, religious expectations, family expectations, uh, and how does that translate into trauma when you're an adult? Like when you started as a kid, how do all of those expectations from your town, your parents, your religion translate into trauma when you're an adult? Uh, so you have like the the character that, you know, his mother was expecting him to become a leader of this cult. He isn't he left her he she was a monster so he left her you have this character who uh used to be like the school bully uh and kind of grew into uh this kind of very cowed individual and is a closeted gay man you know and uh he's married with children and and now trying to see what how he deals with that so it's all of this thing uh, all of these things of uh your little childhood traumas, how do they translate into you as an adult? And how is all of that feeding this uh, mindscape of Blight Harbor, that other side? Fascinating, fascinating. That, that, that's terrific. And you mentioned that that you're getting good reviews now, and which is wonderful, right? Yeah. And, and uh, like, for example, if you, if you look for the book on Goodreads, uh, you'll find like there are like 20 two reviews right now and all of them have been fantastic well all of them say for one there's always that one you know but you know it's it's it, it comes with the territory but i'm really really happy with the book and and how it's doing and uh everyone who's read it has, has really loved it i already finished book two uh, of the trilogy uh, i'm in the process of editing it and it should be out uh sometime early 2024 that's when it's Great. scheduled and, and your characters and and the the mood and everything kind of flows into the second book. Yeah, exactly. It carries over. So the book one is focused on, well, the, the history of the town and how that has led to the characters now in the present. Book two is, you know, looking at the characters on the in the present as this, uh, you know, ritual starts. And then book three obviously would be, you know, when everything goes to hell and how do we stop that or do we stop that? <laughs> wow, great. And, and where's the best place to find you then? And so, uh, well, the book is available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble online. You can get it there. It's uh, the local truth, and you can find me at all my socials with uh, with the the handle Visit White Harbor. Um, yeah, so you can find me at Instagram, Facebook, um, and uh, TikTok as you know uh, at Visit White Harbor or on Twitter now. X, you know, as uh, White Harbor Cult. Neil, do you have anything? No, I don't. Uh, thanks again for coming. I mean, this seems very, very interesting. Congratulations. I think you should definitely enter this into the Miami Book Fair if you've not done that. That would be my last idea if it's not too late or for one of the years of one of your books because I think they would like the based on your genre how intriguing this is. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the for the tip. Yeah, my book fair covered it for X amount of years to last year. I don't know if I'm covering it this year. Might make do a uh I might have a lot of my clients be co-hosts. Don't know for sure. But appreciate it. Thanks again. Again, that was the special simulcast of the Neil Haley show. 
with Paul Hollis. Take care, guys.